Hello, and welcome to the Bamboo Lab Podcast with your host, Peak Performance Coach, Brian Bosley. Are you stuck on the hamster wheel of life, spinning and spinning, but not really moving forward? Are you ready to jump off and soar? Are you finally ready to sculpt your life? If so, you've landed in the right place. This podcast is created and broadcast just for you. All of you strivers, thrivers, and survivors out there. If you'd like to learn more about Brian and the Bamboo Lab, feel free to reach out to explore your true peak level at www.bamboolab3.com. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Bamboo Lab podcast. Thanks for joining us. Folks, today we have an amazing guest on here. We, we truly do. Um, just a quick uh, journey. Um, I have we have a mutual friend. The guest today, Mary and I have a mutual friend, Jason Grom. And Jason, if you want to refer back, he did a podcast episode with us back on May 29th of two thousand of this year, two thousand twenty three, called "Unlocking Our True Selves." And and I have to be honest with you, Jason reached out and said, "Hey, I think you guys should meet. And I think um, you should read her book." And Brian, I think she'd be a good guest in the podcast. And I'm like, "Yeah, sure. You know, I'll, I'll talk to her." So anyway, Mary and I ended up speaking last week. And after we spoke for 30 minutes, I still didn't know what we were going to talk about, but I wanted to talk to her. She sounded interesting. So she said, Brian, just read my book. And so she had gracefully, gratefully sent or gracefully sent me a ebook copy and a hardcover copy of the book. And I read it last week. And for those of you who know, I don't read ebooks, but I did. I read it because I hadn't gotten the, the actual copy yet. It blew my mind. It blew my mind. I've been telling people about this book now for the last week. Uh, so, you know what? I'm going to let her share that story. But I just want to say today we have an amazing guest, Mary Conaty Sullivan on here. And I'll just read a little bit about her. When, when, normally when you ask Mary a little biographical information, the first thing she'll say was, I'm a mom. To say that Aaron was, her son Aaron was and is important to her is an understatement. She really considers him her foremost gift in life and trusts that in providing his and her story to the readers and to the listeners out there, they too will receive a gift. Mary grew up in a small Midwestern town and enjoyed a very active outdoor life during a time when really life was a little simpler and slower. She's a self-described lifelong learner. She was encouraged and unrestricted by her parents to read anything and everything she could get her hands on. Her love for words, language, and stories still persists to this day. After college, Mary spent 41 years in the financial services industry, where she held roles in sales, leadership, and as an executive leading learning and development teams for Fortune 500 firms. She has a BA in psychology, and she has recently graduated with the highest honors and is now with, from, a, from the Funerals Directors Program, and she has now recently, as of September of this year, has completed all of her state board exams and has become a licensed North Carolina funeral director. Mary now lives in a small farm in North Carolina with her husband and their four horses, three dogs, and three cats. So they got quite a little uh, uh, micro zoo there. She enjoys reading, gardening, water skiing, sketching, writing, and horseback riding. Mary, my new friend, it's with great honor that I welcome you to the Bamboo Lab podcast. Oh, thank you, Brian. I'm really glad to be here. Oh, it's such an honor. And I have gotten to know a lot more about you. Quite frankly, I know we spoke last week, but really through the, the book and, uh, uh, you know, that I got the, the honor to read. And I'm going to read it again, too. 
So, but can you share with the audience out there a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your childhood, uh, who or what inspired you growing up? All right. Yes, I will be glad to do that. Um, But before I begin, I do want to mention to the audience, I have a very rare neurological condition that affects my voice. And so any little breathiness or breaks that you hear, this is me and this is the way that I sound. But everyone along the way has always said, you know, once we get used to you, we can understand everything you're saying. But I just didn't want any of your listeners to think I was having an asthma attack or an anxiety attack or anything like that. I appreciate you saying that, Mary. (laughs) Sure. But, yeah, a little more about me. I grew up in a real little town named Beaverdam, Wisconsin. I grew up on a lake. And the lake was really important to me growing up. It was a source of entertainment, peace. It was a place where I could go and think. And I really do think from the very beginning, I thought about life very deeply, even at a young age. I noticed things. I liked learning. I loved reading. And as I was thinking about the questions, you know, what inspired you, I think there were a lot of things that did, and then there were an awful lot of things that did not. And so I was careful to really parse out the things that I thought were well done and the things that I thought were very poorly done. And I committed to learning and growing and following a path that emulated the things that meant the most to me. And, you know, I thought you were going to ask me, well, who inspired you the most? And I was kind of afraid to answer the question, but now I'm all committed and I'm going to answer it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it, it wasn't Abraham Lincoln. It wasn't my third grade teacher. In fact, I mentioned in my book, my third grade teacher was uh, really hell on wheels. She was a nun. She beat us, literally. This was, you know, back in the 1960s when they could do that. But, but oddly enough, at a real young age, the original Star Trek went into syndication. And every afternoon as a teenager, even though I really didn't like TV and I really hardly ever watched, I stepped on that old, you know, color TV giant thing that sits in our living room. And that program would come on for an hour. And it sounds kind of weird now, you know, 50 or 60 years later to think that that show inspired me. But the character of the captain really captured me in all his humanity. And the type of leader that he was, even though he was a fictional character, and I don't even really admire William Shatner as a human, but the character that Gene Roddenberry created was a man that was honest, loyal, unbelievably goal-oriented. He never gave up, and he treated every member of his team with the utmost respect. Even though he was tough, uh, he was very fair. If he yelled at somebody, 
he literally within the next second would maybe put his hand on the person's shoulder. And I thought that balance of, of absolute leadership, fearlessness, coupled with love and a servant attitude was really admirable. And so I guess I patterned myself after somebody that really doesn't even exist. So but you're, there a, you you're, have a, it. you're a Trekkie. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I do hear that a lot, Mary. I hear a lot of people say they were inspired by fictional characters. Um, myself, one of my fictional characters that inspired me was, well, there were a couple, uh, Frank, or I'm sorry, um, Howard Rourke from uh, Ayn Rand's book, The Fountainhead, is one of them, is also the character from Jonathan Livingston Siegel, Richard Bach's book are characters that both 27 years ago inspired me to go off and leave a Fortune 500 company and start my consulting firm. I, I think that that's oftentimes the case. And I think a lot of times for people who grew up in smaller communities or people who read a lot, like you did as a child, you know, your mind can, you can connect with fictional characters, whether they're in the written word or on the, on the silver uh-huh. screen or on television. So I, I do hear that a lot. Yeah, and it's amazing you mentioned both of those books because um, Richard Bach's works, uh, beginning with Jonathan Livingston Siegel, then going on to Illusions, yeah. and Ayn Rand's books, both uh, The Head and Alice Shrugged, were extremely meaningful to me, you know, again, at a rather young and very impressionable age. But, you know, I'm 65 now, and I guess I've been impressionable all my life. But, you know, that's part of being open to learning and growing. And so, you know, I I live what I say. Well, that's fantastic. You know, um, I forgot about illusions and I read illusions. Oh my goodness. Probably 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And I really liked that book. I forgot all about that book. And there was another one he wrote that I read and I can't think of it. It was more practical about flight and I can't remember what it was. Yeah. I don't remember the name of it either, but I have read it. And you're right. It was another really epic book. It was. Now, Jonathan Livingston Siegel is a book that I typically read every January. It's kind of uh, a it's a it's a kind of a send off to the new year, and uh, it gives me a little more. Uh, uh, I don't know. It just gives me a little motivation. I typically give it out to, uh, for gifts. For, number one, you can find it for like three dollars online sometimes because it's such a small book, but uh, it's such a it has so much wisdom and that and inspiration. Yeah. And thoughtfulness in the in, in the short, and you can read it in forty five minutes. I mean, it's mm-hmm. such a great book, Mary. I'm going to change the order of the questions today uh, due to our conversation. And folks, I want to share out there. Uh, you're gonna there's going to be a link at the bottom of today's show notes to Mary's book. It's called Nudges from the Other Side: True Stories of Afterlife Communication. And uh, the, the book is the the story in the book. The journey that Mary has gone through and the, the, the life of Aaron, her son, is really the epicenter of this entire show today. So I'm going to start off with that, the, 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 the next question, Mary, which is so you can introduce to the audience the, the crest of all of this. And that is, in your life, what is the most difficult thing you've gone through and what have you, do, have you done to survive that and thrive through that? Uh-huh. 
Well, yes, thank you. Definitely losing my only child when he was only 20 years old. Very unexpectedly, he wasn't ill. Uh, life was great. He was living on his own. Um, we had a really good relationship. And, you know, that isn't always possible with a young adult or a teenager and their mom or their dad. But we were in a good place. And uh, it was a Memorial Day weekend in 2010, um, so over 13 years ago. And my husband and I, not Aaron's dad, but my husband, Aaron's stepdad, and I were going away for the weekend. We were going camping with our horses. And uh, we woke up on the morning of Memorial Day, and there was a pounding rain falling down. And I remember waking before my husband thinking, well, we're not going to get to ride today, but that's all right. Given that Dan, my husband, was sleeping, I thought, very unusual, normally it's the other way around. But I thought, you know, I'll just go to the barn, I'll get everything tidied up and get us ready to leave. When I got back, <clears throat> my husband was absolutely in a panic. And this was 13 years ago when cell phone reception was not as good as it is today. And it still isn't great, as we all know, but it wasn't very good then. And we were in a remote location, and he said, Mary, something's happened. There are over 20 phone calls on my phone, but I cannot get any voicemail. I'm not seeing anything, you know, so I, I need to run to higher ground and figure out what's going on. And uh, you get the trailer buttoned up and I'll be back. Well, standing up there in the rain, um, my husband received the news that Aaron had been alone in his car that morning and was found dead on the side of the road. Nobody knows where he was going, why, why he left. And um, when Dan walked back in the trailer, the look on his face told me that there was something very, very, very wrong. And he couldn't even speak. And I do not know what made me ask the question, but I said, is it Aaron? And he nodded his head, yes. And again, I don't know whatever possessed me to ask this, but I just remember whispering, is he dead? And he shook his head, yes. And this unwanted journey of mine and Dan's and all the people who loved Aaron was on a roll. And it just, you know, you can only imagine it knocks you off your feet. I, I just, you know, I didn't feel like I had a center of gravity anymore. But after Aaron's funeral, the most amazing things began to happen where, like, improbable things that, that, you know, defy logic. They defy what we know about the world and the black and white laws of physics and nature. And I, I just began to realize that 
and, and then say, I think Aaron is trying to nudge me and let me know that even though he isn't in our physical presence, that he is still alive somewhere. And fortunately, someone extremely influential in my life gave me some advice early on. And he said, you know, Mary, just do what you want to do. If you want to work, work. If you don't want to work, don't work. But do what you want to do. And this was a guy that has a senior level executive position at Bank of America, which is where I worked at the time. And here he is telling me, don't work if you don't want to work. No one no one says that no. <laughs> in a major company like that. But this was his advice. And the day that he said it, I remember I was in my office, which really was my sanctuary. I cried up there. Um, you know, I was honest with myself. You know, I was alone. But I just let it all go. And I glanced at my bookshelf, and sitting there was an empty journal that somebody had given me. And I just remember picking it up, and I began pouring out all these stories, all my feelings, and ultimately the words of others um, throughout the years that, that gave me comfort. And many years down the road, I even wrote this in the journal one day, I said, someday... I need to put this in a book so that maybe others will hear my words, internalize them, and also be able to uh, discover that there is life after death. And there is hope, not just from a religious perspective, but from just the truth about life and our own eternal nature. And so I did. In January of this year, um, I had a break in my life, and my mind was clear, and I began writing. And I did it in a really linear way. I set a goal of finishing the book uh, by the end of June, and I wrapped all the narrative around the journal entries, and then I began looking into, well, what does it take to get published? And ultimately, the book launched on October 15th of this year. And, I, you know, I can't say thank you enough for putting your, your journey of what you went through, the pain, the suffering, and going through, watching you go through that healing process as a, as a reader for me anyway, and I think so many of the, 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 the audience out there will feel the same way. You feel yourself connected to a moment in your life when you lost someone or, okay. and you feel you, you, you really kind of, I felt I was walking alongside you every single page of that, of that book, especially mm -hmm. when you wrote you, when you shared your journal entries, because they were so raw, they were so real, they were so authentic that okay. I felt like, and it made me connect with like when I'm losing my father at a young age and thinking of, you know, obviously that's I, I didn't go through it as consciously as you did because I was much younger. But there was a parallel to that. And I think the reader out there, you listening in the audience right now, when you read Mary's book, Nudges from the Other Side, you really are going to see that you can relate on so many levels to what she's going through. And you can feel that you know the 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 depth of pain 
that someone experiences, whether you've lost a child or not, you can experience the pain and you can relate to the pain. Maybe not that depth, but it's. It, I felt when I got done reading it, I felt I was a better man and I felt a little bit more healed. And that sounds strange, really. It does. but And it felt strange. And I know every day, Mary, I write down five things that I'm grateful for. And I do that every morning, uh, right before I journal. And that one of the days last week, maybe Friday it probably was, or maybe Saturday, I wrote down, I'm thankful for this book. Um, And I think the reader out there is going to feel the same way. Um, I I just, you know, I I, I know I want to go into the book a little more, and I know the reader will get this when he or she goes into (laughs) your story. Can you share with us, how do you get through that? And maybe you Uh never do get through that, but how Uh do you continue to get up in the morning, get dressed, bathe and shower, Uh brush your teeth, and do the things that we all take for granted every day without Uh even a second thought? You're carrying a 5,000-pound weight on your shoulder. How do you do do that? Where does that strength come from? Uh Well, I love that question, Um, but if it's all right, I'm going to do what, like, every political candidate does because um, I want to go back for just a minute because I love the things that you've shared. And and I want to share with your listeners that, you know, the book indeed, it is a tearjerker because I, I just, you know, dedicated myself to being honest. And I was honest, of course, when I was writing those journal entries, because in the beginning, I never thought anyone else would ever read them. Why would they? But, but I was honest in my narrative. I was honest in not changing anything in the journal entries. But you aren't going to cry for five hours when you read the book. I've literally had people say to me, I cried. I smiled, I laughed, and in the end, I walked away feeling uplifted um, through the eyes of your journey. And I've also had people tell me that they've decided to make major changes in their life, which is really an honor. You know, I've had people say, I'm just going to be more authentic. I'm going to be more honest. I'm not going to hold back. Um, You know, and and I've, I've had people say I had given up on a career and I'm not stopping now. And so that, that's just a beautiful gift, Um, you know, in exchange for, what I hoped was a gift um, for the world, whether you grieve, whether you're curious, um, it, it's just really meant to provide that comfort, hope, and peace to readers of all ilk. Right. Well, and like I said to you, I know I walked away a better person. I felt I just and I and I share with you prior to today's airing or recording that. The, when I, the night I started reading uh, your book, I believe it was last Wednesday, actually. And my son Dawson, who's 21, you know, just not much, he just turned 21 last month, so he's not much older than Aaron was. And um, he and I were having a, just a small squabble by a text and phone call, nothing major. And, um, you know, I said, hey, I got to go. I'm not going to argue with you right now. And then I sat down and I started reading your book, maybe 45 minutes later, and probably a quarter of the way through the book, I'd read for maybe an hour or so. I just thought, okay, 
let's learn what what have I learned so far? So I just picked up the phone. I texted him. Hey, I love you, son, more than anything, or uh, more than I could ever say. And he wrote back right to, I love you too, pops. And I, I think it helps us to realize what we truly have in our lives right now that we sometimes, because of the busyness of life and huh. the, we, we the, you know, the small necessities of life, we tend to take for granted. And uh, it really, for me, it helped me realize don't take life for granted, especially uh, your children in this case. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, probably wasn't long after that that you maybe read the journal entry about the text that I got from Aaron. Yes. And this was back in the days of flip phones. And um, I still have that old flip phone. I turn it on every now and then and I glance at that text message. But, you know, I just feel like, Brian, there's no accidents and there's synchronicities that are happening in all of our lives if we will only slow down enough to take note of what's going on. And I just love that you took action that day and said, hey, I love you. And we always forget the, the bites unless it's like a World War Three, you know, because we have those as well. But we forget the, the vast majority of arguments and bites that we have with people but what we do remember is the good times. And, you know, I was blessed to be in a good place with Aaron um, when he passed. But, you know, you asked me, how do you get up every day? And you use the word carry. And that is the very word that I, I share with people. I don't think you ever actually get over it. But you do learn how to carry it. And every now and then... Um, something will take me off my feet where I'm just brought back to that moment. There's a journal entry in the book, way, way late, near the end of the book, and the name of it is Judy. And that was an unexpected moment that happened in the earlier part of this year that knocked me off my feet, brought me back to day one, but at the end was very cathartic for me. But most of the time, I'm carrying that weight, and I know how to keep my shields up, um, using a Star Trek metaphor, and not let just the ordinary things, you know, everyday things get to me. When I was relating the story to you and the listeners a little while ago, I did feel myself choke up, because I'm bringing myself right back to that moment. And I shed a lot of tears writing the book. And, you know, when you write a book, you wind up with your editors and so forth, uh, proofreading it many, many, many times. And I don't think there was ever a proofread where I wasn't brought back to those early dark days. But I carry it, and I'm living in the today. And I think every day has its own blessings. It often has trials, but, you know, it's what we make of things, I guess. I think what you said a moment ago is so extremely powerful. It, re it, it uh, deserves repeating, and that is we, you don't really ever get over it. You just mm -hmm. learn to carry it. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in, in like in the physical form, when you carry something over and over, you, you, you get physically stronger. 
And I uh-huh. think when you carry something emotionally or spiritually, in this case, very emotionally for you, you, you tend to, if you carry it, you, pro, you, you get stronger. And, and I think, but it takes strength to be able to pick it up and carry it at the same time. And I mean, I, I am, I'm so impressed and I respect you so much, Mary, for having that courage to, to carry. I've shared this this book with so many people. Uh, the the this you know the hey I'd like you to get this book. You know if you don't if you don't don't have the money I'll buy it for you. I want you to have a copy of this book. And everybody I have said that to has said I don't know how I could possibly do that. I I, I don't I mean not read the book. I don't know how I could ever move forward in life like uh-huh. Mary did. And I said uh-huh. I you, when and that's the beauty of the book. And I think every parent thinks that. And they, we know we all say that's a common, I, I could never move, go on. When you read the book, you realize the strength of the human character. You realize that spirit that, that we do have inside. It's like the mother who lifts the car over the child. Uh-huh. It's that, you know, that's uh-huh. the physical strength. We also have a great depth of emotional and spiritual and, and mental strength that we are completely unaware of until we are tested and, and either we can either choose not to or we can choose to carry it. And thank goodness you chose to carry it because I think the words you put down here and the story you tell and just learning about you know Aaron's life in general has the impact of to change so many thousands and thousands of other lives uh-huh. as it is doing in my opinion so uh-huh. you know thank you. have you ever read the poem gone or the work gone from sight by henry van dyke i do not believe i have i'd like to read this to you right now if you don't mind uh, this is a short, uh, short, uh, there's like four or five paragraphs. It's called Gone from Sight. I am standing upon the seashore. A ship at my side spreads her white sails to the moving breeze and starts for the blue ocean. She is an object of beauty and strength. I stand and watch her until at length she hangs like a speck of white cloud just where the sea and the sky come to mingle to each with each other. Then somebody at my side says, there, she is gone. Gone where? Gone from sight, that is all. She is just as large in mast, hull, and spar as she was when she left my side. And she is just as able to bear her load of living freight to her destined port. Her diminished size is in me, not in her. And just at the moment when someone says, there, she is gone, there are other eyes watching her coming and other voices ready to take up the glad shout. Here she comes. And that is dying. I love that. I absolutely love it. I would have included that in the book had I known about it. <laughs> I, I think that it, when I was reading your book, I thought of that piece of work so many times. And um, I wanted to make sure I was able to read that to you on air today. Uh, I'll send that to you, Mary, when we're done today. Yeah, thank I'll, you I'll get, for I'll, I'll sharing sure that. I'll, I'll, I'll get that to you. I'll email that to you. Awesome. It reminds me, Brian, of a journal entry in the book um, where we we do a traditional uh, Thanksgiving getaway. We rent a mountain cabin in a different location every year, and we did this when the kids were very young because we were a blended family. And we thought, you know, if we do this a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, we can let our exes have Thanksgiving 
and we'll start a tradition that the kids maybe will really enjoy. And boy, did they ever, because they will not let us quit. And they're in their 30s now, and we have four grandchildren. But in one entry, when Aaron was young, um, we were at a cabin, and he and his stepbrothers and a buddy uh, decided they were going to go down the road, go to the base of a mountain, and climb the mountain. And we were back at the cabin, a few of us, and just enjoying the day. And my cell phone rang, and it was Aaron. And he said, Mom, I want you to go to the window. And he said, do you see that mountain up against your window? And I said, I do. And he said, we're at the top. I'm waving at you furiously. Can you see me? And I looked and looked, and I said, you're too far away. I can't see you. And he kept insisting that I try. And I said, it's just too far for my eyes to see you, but I know you're there. And he said, you see the, um, the radio tower right at that mountain? And I said, that I can see because it extended way up in the air. And he said, I'm standing at the base of it and I'm touching it. And so now you know you're looking at me. And I remembered that months and months after he passed. And I thought that very same thing, that although I can no longer see him, he is still there. And that poem that he shared um, conveys that in such an eloquent way. It's just lovely. I was, um, I was. There are so many, as you call them, nudges in the in their story that really made me, you know, furrow my brow and think, how the hell could that have happened? And uh-huh. one was particular one was when you left your cell phone with the text message uh-huh. from Aaron on the airplane. Uh-huh. Can you tell that story, please? Yeah, that was amazing. So, you know, I had that old flip phone and it had that text message on it. And so you can believe that I looked at that a dozen or more times every single day. And I think it was so Aaron passed on Memorial Day, which is in May of 2010. And I think it was in August that I finally got on an airplane and made my first business trip. I was working before that, but I wouldn't leave. And I had occasion to go to New York. I live near Charlotte, North Carolina. And so I boarded the airplane and... You know, my work family had been so very kind to me, but this was this was bigger. There's there's just like I don't know this this stronger heartthrob in New York and intensity about it. And I knew it was going to be difficult to see my my New York work family, but I went up and everyone was amazingly kind. And the guy that told me, work if you want to work, don't if you don't want to, we were in a meeting, and after the meeting was over, he got up from the long conference table, and in a little voice, he said, Mary, do you mind coming outside with me? And we stepped out of the room, and he said, how are you doing? And we shared, you know, a heart-to-heart conversation, and I admired him so for doing that. This is a man who, you know, probably has one minute of spare time in his day. 
And I told him about the message on the phone and, you know, just the way that I was sort of walking through life and, you know, semi-attached and semi-detached. And, you know, it felt good to, to really know that he cared. And so anyway, the trip came to an end and I boarded that airplane. And as often happens in New York, LaGuardia, uh, there was a, a significant delay but we were already boarded. It was later at night. And I thought, you know what? I am just going to take a nap. And I remember putting that cell phone in the seat pocket right in front of where I was sitting. And I remember even thinking to myself, you don't, you shouldn't do that. You need to put it in your, in your laptop bag. But I didn't listen to my brain. And I was really, really tired. And I went to sleep. And a few hours later, um, we landed. And I did my normal routine, grabbed my laptop bag. I left the airport, uh, got on a shuttle bus, got into my car. And as I always do, I was getting ready to phone my husband and say, the eagle has landed. That's literally what I would always say. I'm on my way home. And I started rummaging in my bag, and I just had this amazing heart sink, you know, where you instantly get a lump at your throat, and your heart feels like it's dropped down to the bottom of your gut, because I knew I had left that phone on that airplane. And I... I would imagine at least 30 minutes had gone by, but I thought, well, if I don't try, I'll never get it back. And I'm trying to not cry and get all emotional about it. I knew I needed to hold myself together because this was after 9-11 and it wasn't easy to get through the airport, but... I parked right up next to uh, the terminal in Valet, and I pleaded with the gate agent to let me go out. And as always, it was the very, very last uh, gate on the concourse. And so I'm running in my high heels, and I get there, and I could see that it was still there, but the gate door was closed. And I went to the gate agent and I explained I have left my cell phone in the seat pocket. My seat was whatever the number was. And I said, I know you've closed the door, but do you think that you could just ask somebody to look? And she was nice, which sometimes, as we know, is rare in their hectic lives of, you know, working at the airport. And she said, sure, let me radio down there. I'll see if I can get one of the flight attendants to look. And I waited and I waited. And she actually left and didn't radio. She went down, opened the door, walked down the gateway, um, and evidently went and spoke with them. And a long time later, I'm sure that, you know, this incident delayed their flight, um, she came back and she said, and I hadn't even told her why I wanted it. And she said, I am so sorry. We looked. There was a very nice man in your seat. And we, we reached in the seat pocket. It wasn't there. We checked all the others in your row under the seats. 
um, you know, in the questions, the row in front, the row in back, it just isn't there. And I, I just looked at her eyes and without meaning to, I just began crying. And she said, oh, honey, I know our cell phones mean so much to us nowadays. And I remember reaching out and grabbing her hand and I said, no, you don't even understand. And I, I explained, my son passed away in May and I had one text message from him and felt to me as if that was some sort of a living link to him. And I could have cared less about the cell phone if it weren't for that one very brief and very, very precious message. And that sweet lady began to cry right along with me. And just to think that, you know, the kindness of strangers, and she said, oh, please go down to Lost and Found. If we ever find it, we will send it back to you. Just go do that before you leave the airport, and I'm so sorry. And so I did that. I, you know, cried all the way down to Lost and Found, made the report, and I felt like, I don't know, kind of just like this wounded person and I walked back up to where my car was parked in the ballet right outside the door to the airport. And I got in and I remember rummaging through my bag once again, looking over on the passenger side, like could it have fallen out, which I knew it didn't. I knew I didn't have it. I knew it was in the airplane. And as I was over there on the passenger side rummaging, it literally felt to me as if someone put their fingers under my chin and lifted it up and made me gaze onto my own seat. And sitting there, I could see under the lights on that, on that valet parking area, because this was night, I saw my little square flip phone sitting right where I had been sitting. And, you know, I only weigh like 130 pounds. I promise you, <laughs> if I was sitting on a square metal object, I would have known it. And it wasn't on my person. It didn't fall out of a pocket. I don't keep anything in my pockets ever, never have. And so I just knew that. There was something going on beyond all the things that we are taught about, you know, life, physics, nature, science. And um, thank goodness I wrote all those incidents down because that one I wouldn't have forgotten, but I would have forgotten a lot of the other ones. Or I would have said, mm, I think I imagined that one. <laughs> I mean, I remember reading that part of the book, and I, I almost wanted to put my arms up and start screaming and hooraying and hurrahing you at that moment, <laughs> because you know you were you talked about going through the airport, you talked about going back to the gate, you talked about them going back to your seat and rummaging through the the, and you knew that that's where it was, you know there was no doubt in your mind, and, and <laughs> as you were walking back, and I thought, oh my goodness, she lost that final physical connection that she had with <laughs> Aaron, and I believe the text said, "I love you, mom." Yeah, well, it said, um, I'm doing fine. I'll call you here in a little bit. And that was it. That, okay. that really was all it was. 
But to, it, I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, she lost that final physical connection. And then when you got in the car, I, I didn't know where the story was going to go. And when you found that, when you said your head was lifted up by fingers and you saw the, the phone there, it was like this. I think right now the audience is probably giving this, 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 this you know, exponential gasp right now, like, ah, oh, what a relief. <laughs> You know, one of the quotes that you have in the book that really resonated with me was, and I I might misquote this, so please forgive me, it was, coincidences are God's way of staying anonymous, remaining anonymous. Uh Something like that. I I read that, I could believe, a couple of times. And that was a really interesting quote. Can you Uh share with us another another nudge that really, uh, that resonated with you? I know there are so many in this book of of, of connections you had with Aaron and others through the... Through the yeah, I will. And and you know what? That quote is literally by Albert Einstein. Mm. And I was going to mention that, you know, maybe people are thinking, yeah, she is one of those woo-woo people that just believes in, you know, supernatural things or, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, it isn't just me. This this was Albert Einstein that said that. And... Um, I did spend 41 years in financial services. There's no room for woo-woo in the work world that I was engaged in. And so, um, again, just glad that I recorded these. But, yeah, another one of my favorites actually happened one year to the day uh, after Aaron, Aaron passed. And I was still operating at, you know, maybe 50% capacity in that I was consumed with grief. Um, I, you know, I was going through all the motions, but I was still very, very, very upset. And um, we had planned that day to have all of Aaron's buddies and our family members come over, and we were going to do a balloon release in his honor, which I now realize is an awful idea in terms of where those mylar balloons end up. So I do not recommend doing that. But at that time, I, you know, we didn't know any better. And the day before, uh, Dan and I had gone to the store that was going to blow up the balloons. And we paid for them, but they said, now, we're not going to send them home with you if this is going to take place tomorrow, because if we do, tomorrow morning, 50% of them will be on the ground. The other 50% of them are going to be halfway down, you know, in the the air, not on the ceiling anymore. And so you really need to come the day of the release. And we were like, oh, all right, all right. And so that morning, Dan said to me, hey, are you going to be all right for a little while alone on this anniversary while I run and go get those balloons? And, you know, I I lied to him a lot back then. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. And um, I knew I wasn't. And so I went up to my office and I was talking with Aaron in my mind. And I said, you know, Aaron, I really need to feel you near to me today near to me and I cried and uh, I realized maybe 20 minutes later that I better pull myself together because it wouldn't be long before Dan would be back home 
And so I decided that I would go cue up that we were going to play when the balloons were released by everyone. And it was, I know you're out there somewhere by the Moody Blues. It's an old song. It's absolutely beautiful. I had picked it. I thought it was perfect for the balloon release. And so I put our little iPod on the speaker dock. That was the way it worked back then. And I set it up, and I got the remote, and um, I walked out to in the lawn where we were going to do the release because I wanted to gauge the right volume. And I could see on the iPod that I know you're out there somewhere is a song, and I hit the play button. And I know you're out there somewhere did not come on. A song named Near to You uh, played that I didn't even know was on our playlist of thousands of songs. I didn't know it was on there. Wow. How do you explain that? He's there. Uh, He, you know, he and others... They leave our physical presence, but there are energy fields. And again, (laughs) I see this at the beginning of the book, that this is really a book about the laws of physics and thermodynamics, because literally there are forces in the universe that we have not yet even been able to grasp. And I do believe that when the essence of who we are leaves this earthly body, leaves this earth, that there are some ways in which wherever these these dear ones reside, whether they are people, animals, that they are able to move these laws of physics and use especially electronic means to get on a frequency that enables them to give us that nudge. And in fact, there's an amazing movie named Frequency um, that I would urge you and everyone to watch. It's just, it's a beautiful tale of a man who uh, lost his life in a fire and the ways in which he uh, connects with his yeah, I've just pulled that up. Dennis Quaid. Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna save that here. You know, Mary. Um, I and I do believe that. I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, I think that you know, life is nothing more than energy. We are energy, and energy uh-huh. is never dissipated. It just it transfers over. You know, yes. you can't kill energy. I had an experience, Mary, <clears throat> that I I never thought it was anything. Uh, of a of a supernatural uh, uh, level at all growing up. I thought it was just something that happened just like me playing Little League Baseball happened. And it was my father died when I was four and a half. And I, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him other than to see his body in the casket at the funeral. Mm-hmm. And it was, I don't know if it was six months later uh, I, I it was was it was definitely within a year. My family and I were going to church one Sunday, and we were walking kind of single file through the house. My mother was saying, "Okay, we got to go." And um, I have four older siblings, 
And, and at the time, we didn't have a furnace. We had a, a heater, like a, I guess a space heater, they were called, but like the size of a furnace. And it was in the corner of our living room. And as you walk through the archway to go from the the living room to the dining room into the kitchen, there was a hat, there was a, a partial wall. There was a wall there and the, that furnace sat in that corner. And so as I was walking, my mother in the lead, my brothers and sisters in front of me, I was walking through the archway. I happened to look over to the furnace and my father was kneeling down. He was, he was kneeling down on like one knee and he was there in full form physical form. Mm. And oh. I, I kind of, you know, had a look of excitement on my face and he waved at me and I went to go, move toward him. He just shook his head. No, like I'm just here to wave at you. He didn't say anything, but it was just he, and I just, I, I laughed, wow. I smiled and I kept walking go to, and went into church for years. I thought that was just what happened. And it wasn't until several years later, I thought that really couldn't have happened, even though it wasn't a dream. It was a middle of the, it was a Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock. And I remember it was a sunny day and it wasn't until, and then I thought, well, that I I never questioned it. And then I realized it it did really happen. It it really Uh did happen, you know, Uh but as as a young boy, I thought. Oh, dad's here. He's alive. You know, he's here in physical uh-huh. form. It wasn't then later on, I, I thought he couldn't have been there in physical form. He had died with, you know, months earlier. And then right. I realized, and it's one of those, I still feel when I say, share that story, I can still experience the emotion of excitement and elation that I felt seeing him. And what I realized now, it was his way of saying, Hey, you didn't get a chance to say goodbye to me. Goodbye. This is my goodbye uh-huh. to you. Yeah. You know, and it was, I it was, a, it was a, it was a, one of the, it, probably the most powerful moment, at least in the top two or three of my life. Mm. Just incredibly stru- uh, powerful. Um, yeah. You know what? It reminds me, Brian, of Aaron actually had an experience like that. And I think he was maybe only a year younger than you were. But when my dad died, um, uh, Aaron was only like three years old and about six months later we we were living in Florida at the time and of course I had brought Aaron to Wisconsin which is where I'm from home uh, for the funeral and six months later we were at the park and Aaron is swinging on a swing I'm pushing him and every time he would go forward and get to the very top of where the swing would go, he would go, there's Papa, there's Papa. And I kept pushing him and I was like, what in the world is he seeing? And so when we finished, I said, tell me about uh, Papa just then. He goes, oh, yeah, he was up there in the sky. Every time that I would get to the top, I could see him. And I thought, how interesting. And, you know, every time that I brought him back, the exact same thing would happen, but it would only happen if I put him on that one particular swing. And many, many years after Aaron's own passing, I had occasion to go back to Tampa and I told my husband, I want to take you around to where I lived and where that park is. And if that swing is there, uh, I'm going to swing on that swing. And maybe Aaron or my dad will be there. Well, 
the swings no longer existed, but we were able to spend time um, at that park. And unfortunately, I didn't get to see anybody, but, you know, it felt like a little bit of a connection to the past. Oh, of course. You know, what's very interesting is, is after we uh, talked and then I read your book, I, I recalled and I'm trying to remember who they were, but at least two or three previous podcast guests um, that I had, and the topic of our show was nothing to do with you know nudges or anything of that nature. But during the show, they shared stories where that happened to them. And I'm trying to remember uh, the one that had an incredibly great and couple of very powerful stories. I'll have to remember where who they are. Oh, it was uh, October 31st of 2022. We did an episode with with television host Stacy Weaver, um, and it was called Finding Inspiration from Yourself. And um, she talked in there about some experiences her children had and that were mind-blowing. And it was like, wow. <laughs> and we did a pre-interview, and I said, you have to share those stories in the podcast. And she did, and they were really interesting. Um, you know, and you had mentioned that, you know, you're not this, uh, you know, this isn't, you came from a very pragmatic field of finance. I, I, I firmly, you know, I, I think 15, 20 years ago, stories like this, I would have chalked it up to some, uh, coincidence, I would, you know, cause I didn't believe I was an atheist at one point. I didn't believe in, it, it was, to me, it was hocus pocus. And then I started reading, uh, Roger Penrose's works. I started talking to other people in a field where, who, people who were far more intelligent than I was. And they said, why are you so, so narrow minded? Why is your, your patent office closed for no more learnings and creations? And, um, I have, a, and, and I started thinking, wow, this is, then I started looking into quantum physics and, and, sure. uh, understanding manifestation and things of that nature. And I have a friend of mine who, uh, actually she's a, the wife of a friend of mine, a dear friend who is the lead, a lead research, a cancer research a scientist at the university of Michigan and very pragmatic field, uh, very pragmatic person, very structured, organized, very serious. And she shared things with me. She was one of the, the first people to introduce me to the concept of energy and how energy does, it, it doesn't ever die. It transfers <laughs> in talking about the afterlife. And, um, that's what really kind of was my thought of, wow, if Mary can think this, this is another Mary. If Mary can <laughs> feel this way and believe this, I, and she's far more intelligent than I am. Um, I need to look into this a little more. And I do talk, the vast majority of people I talk to are, are business executives, um, things of that nature. And I don't really know of one who wouldn't agree with you and wouldn't agree with what we're talking about today. I, I think we're becoming just a lot more wise as a culture to see that it isn't just what we can see, hear, taste, and smell on this planet that's reality. It's not. This is a very, you know, we're kind of the, the frog that lives in a pond and thinks the pond is the universe. <laughs> and it's right. it's far, right. far bigger, yeah. you know. Try to explain yeah. a skyscraper to a frog and they can't understand it, you know. But, yes, and, and you know what? Um, our collective consciousness really does need to elevate and and i think it has and i believe it's on a trajectory to continue doing so um because we are facing a crisis of you know ever before unknown proportion with climate change we're on a path to our own annihilation in the world as we know it and so i believe that 
we are on a path to elevated consciousness. And I don't know if you've ever read the book Generations. It, it, it isn't easy to read, but it, it really talks about these cycles where, you know, really devastating things go on. And then a world leader comes on the stage and somehow is able to elevate us. And I think, you know, recently... Well, in, in, in the world history right now, we're in an ugly place, in a dark place, where the wrong type of things are prevailing. But all that said, I think that there is this consciousness, this awakening that's, that's just underfoot and beginning to rumble. And it needs to, because uh, we're, we're in a pickle right now. Well, that's part of why your story is going to go to do across the world next week to, or right now as, as the people are listening to it, to really share that. And I, I, you know, um, I wanted to say this because I, you had mentioned this earlier. Um, and I think there's a picture of you and Aaron sitting on the beach at Cape Cod and you're reading the Mm -hmm. book, many lives, many masters. Mm -hmm. That book was a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. That is an incredible book. Yes. And, 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 you know, I know it talks a great deal about reincarnation and things of that nature. And there's another book that I read um, uh, right after I read Many Lives, Many Masters, and it was about a young boy who claims, uh, and he was very young, that he was a fighter pilot in a previous life. And I can't think, I bought it at Barnes & Noble at, when you walk in and they have those really inexpensive books uh, in the vestibule years and years and years ago, probably 20 years ago, and 15 years ago. And I bought it, and I forgot what it was called, and it talks, and the book lays out, this kid could explain the inside of a cockpit of mm-hmm. a World War II fighter plane. I, I was, yeah. it, it was amazing. And whether you believe in reincarnation or whatever you believe in, the point is we can't deny the facts that we are being presented that there's something more. What mm-hmm. that is, maybe, I, I mean, I don't have the capacity or the bandwidth to explain it or to know it, mm-hmm. but I, I just know there is. And that right there is enough to know yes. there is. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Mary, if I, and this is a tough question. If you could go back to uh, the day prior to Aaron's passing in Memorial Day weekend of 2010, if you could go back one day prior to that and you could talk to yourself, not to Aaron, but you could talk to yourself and you had to give yourself one piece of advice, what would you tell yourself? Well, I, I mean, I think I would say go home right now and prevent this. But um, if, if I were only allowed to give myself advice and the events were going to happen anyway, um, it would be, you know, lean into this and do this your own way and, and kind of, you know, be open. Keep your eyes open. Keep your heart open. Because he, although will be leaving your physical existence, you will learn that he is around you. And, you know, that, that would be the advice. And in fact, I dream of Aaron almost, you know, five times a week to this very day. And someone once said to me, yeah, he comes and he stands in your bedroom doorway every night. And I love that image. I love that thought. And I love the fact that I dream of him. I, that is so beautiful. And I have no doubt that that's what's happening. You know, when I started reading the, the book, you know, I have uh, 
children of my own, of course. I have two biological children and three bonus sons, um, and mm-hmm. I love them all dearly. And it, it, of course, when you're a parent reading this your your story, you you I, you tend to connect uh, differently, maybe at a, a deeper level. Uh, if you if I didn't have children, and I remember at the beginning of the book, I thought. You know, you were talking about Aaron. I thought, I want to get to know this guy. And I, I thought that a few times throughout the book. And then at the end of the book, I, when I shut the pages, I remember thinking, I do know him. Now I know him. And just the love that you two share to this day and forever and eternally will, it exudes through the entire, you know, every page, every drop of ink on those pages. You're the love you guys shared in on here on Earth, and you still share, and will eternally share. It just it it shines through, and it really is more than just a journey of a mother um, dealing with and carrying this def- this challenging load of losing her son here on Earth. It's really a testimony and a testament to the love a parent shares with a child and a child shares with his or her parent. And I, I can't thank you enough for, for, for reading or writing this book and having the courage to to carry that load and continue to and to really inspire people, Mary. It's, 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 it's so awe-inspiring. I, my deepest respect for you. Thank you. You know, I, I will say that early on after writing the book and, you know, beginning to go through the proofreading process, um, I did a couple things really, really deliberately. And one was I priced it really low um, because I wanted it to be accessible. And I made a commitment that Anyone that was experiencing financial hardship, all they had to do is let me know, and I would make sure that they got a copy, and I love that you also said that earlier. But the other thing is I made a decision that all of the book proceeds will go to charity upon my own death. And you might say, well, why not give them away now, you know, when you can get the accolades for doing so? But remember, I come out of financial services, and so I want to crack at managing the money and making it grow. (laughs) We can give a great amount to a charity or charities. Um, But, but, you know, in, in so doing, I really hope people will realize that my intentions are pure. This is as much Aaron's work as it is mine. And I... You know, I I don't have a ton of gifts, but I do have love for words. And I don't think any parent or anyone who grieves over, you know, whether it's a spouse, a parent, a child, a brother, sister, nephew, a dog, a horse, a cat, I don't think any of you feel very differently than I do. We can't we can't put a measure on one person's grief being more than another's. I think we all you know, unfortunately are destined to have a grief journey or more than one. And so by sharing whatever small gifts that I possess um, through my words, my stories, my willingness to share, I feel like I'm keeping Aaron's legacy alive and that I'm giving what I can give me um, to shine a little bit of a light in, in a world that I know needs it. Well, you are most certainly doing that. And, and before we wrap up, I want to ask you, do you have any idea why Jason connected us? 
Well, Jason read the book. Jason and I um, became uh, very good friends in addition to being colleagues. And I think we both have a very genuine respect for one another. And he has a great deal of respect for you. I did listen to the podcast that you did with him. And I think he is on a journey um, of giving a gift to the world as well with his love of learning and teaching and helping others. And I think that it was just, you know, one of those little inspirations where he said, well, I want to connect you to, and I'm so glad that he did, Brian. Well, I am as well. And I, and I do think that was just another nudge from Aaron. Um, you know, you live in North Carolina. I live in Michigan. We've never crossed paths before. We've, I, you've never heard my name prior. I've never heard your name prior. <laughs> Can you tell me the date of Aaron's birthday? Yeah, March 20th, 1990. My birthday is also March 20th. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Synchronicity again. There's no accident. There's just no accident. When I was reading the book and I, I saw that, I thought, wow. I, I mean, obviously, there's a one in 365 chance of that happening, but that's a very small <laughs> odd. It's a very small odd. And, yeah, uh, on my third podcast. I mean, right? <laughs> yes. I, 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 it just, it was just another one of those little nudges. So, yeah. Oh, well, Mary, I, I, we're going to wrap up now. And um, I, I'd like to have you back on. I think there's so much more to your journey and so much more wisdom and inspiration you can share. And I, if you, with your permission, um, I, I'm going to stay in contact with you and, and, and get you back on again, because I think this is a, an episode where people are going to come. I'm going to hear a lot of, of positive feedback, and I'm going to have a lot of the audience members out there saying, can you get her back on? I need to hear more. I need, I need to listen uh -huh. to Mary again. Uh, so yes. I hope you're open to that. I would be delighted. Oh, great. So Bamboo Pack audience out there, you members, um, just know that, as I a lot of times do, the first five people who respond with a heart message to me via text, email, or however you want to reach out um, that we receive sharing with, with, with us what this podcast did for you, we'll get, we'll get a free copy of Mary's book, um, Nudges from the Other Side. And we'll also include a link to from Barnes & Noble as well as Amazon on the show notes today. Uh, please get on there, man. This book is, is a game changer. It's a life changer in so many ways. Uh, it's inspirational. It's tragic, but, but uh, with an incredible, like I said, you walk away a better person. That's the best way to put it. So um, I, I think that's, uh, that's the best way to finish this off. So Mary... Uh, again, I, it was an honor to speak with you today, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes after we're done recording, but uh, as we wrap up, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, and uh, just know that there are so many people right now in your corner loving you, and now we're all going to be looking and noticing the nudges that we probably have been uh, right. have been ignoring all of our lives. We're going to see nudges from our loved ones, and uh, hopefully we'll even get some nudges from Aaron. Um during the course of our day. So uh, this yeah. one goes out to Aaron. This episode is dedicated to Aaron and, and the beautiful life he lived on earth and the, and the incredible changes and impact he's making now from the other side. So thank you, Mary, for being such an amazing guest on the Bamboo Lab podcast. Oh, thank you very, very much and much love to all your listeners. Thank you very much. Bamboo Pack audience, uh, thank you for tuning in again this week. Um, 
as always, I ask you to get out there and strive to, to, to just be your best, show love and respect to others, and by all means, live intentionally and enjoy the journey. I love each and every one of you.